JC, it's that time. The Lakers hot stove is burning. Free agency is rumbling right along. The trade market is heating up. The Lakers seem to be involved in just about anything and everything as it relates to the Kyrie Irving saga that's coming out of Brooklyn. And it may not just be a matter of if, but when at this point. I know there's been a lot going on around the basketball world. This is going to be a jam-packed episode of the Ethos Lakers podcast, so we are stoked to welcome you guys in, welcome you back. Here we go, JC. What is the thing that stands out the most to you right now? If you had to pick one thing surrounding the Lakers, one storyline, could be current, could be new, anything that you see, what would it be and why? I mean, it's the big lingering storm of, of Kyrie Irving, not not a matter of if, but when. Um I'm going out to summer league next week, and I'm kind of hoping that the trade happens like while I'll be there, because then uh, I think it'll be cool to be in that arena when everybody kind of goes apeshit and uh, you know reacts to the to the news live, and I think that'll be cool to see. JC, it's the perfect opportunity for me to bring in Carl to this episode, my college roommate Carl, because he's got a very slanted opinion of Kyrie as a devout and loyal Celtics fan. Now, never have I wanted a player so badly on a team whose personality I don't really want as much. Like, I want Kyrie Irving, the basketball player. I don't really care for Kyrie Irving, the personality. This is the same guy. You know, everybody has their own opinion on vaccination status, but it's the same guy who walks around talking about the earth potentially being flat. I know he wants to do things differently. I know he wants to be his own man, be a leader. I respect that he's trying to do things his own way. I don't agree with his execution of the process. All of this to say, I would still love to root for him wearing Lakers golden golden purple, yellow and purple, baby. I mean, the idea that Kyrie Irving could play with LeBron James on the Los Angeles Lakers and Anthony Davis, JC, the Lakers have not had a guard with these skills since Kobe Bryant was still in uniform. Yeah, I mean, I I still think it could work just because, I mean, you talked about the, the successful history that LeBron and Kyrie have. I think that Kyrie is you know, realize how good he might have had it with LeBron. And not only that, I think, um, you know, he looked at the the situations he was in before where he was in Boston with a bunch of really young kids before their prime and with Katie in Brooklyn, who and Katie doesn't seem to handle outside distractions all that well. And I think LeBron has handled outside distractions about as well as anybody can handle them. And so I think he understands Kyrie from a, you know, basketball point, and I think there'll, there'll be enough freedom for Kyrie to be Kyrie off the court in L.A., and I think he'll show up to work, and if he does, I think it'll work out great. Look, there is no question, no question LeBron is involved in this, okay? There's no doubt about it, right? We 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 have all seen, to your point, the power of the Kyrie to LeBron connection. We've all seen that. Granted, it was some period of time ago for both of their careers at this point, but we have seen that already. And to say Kyrie Irving would be a better fit for the Los Angeles Lakers than Russell Westbrook would be like saying, you know, I'd be thinner if I were six foot five instead of five foot eight. I guess that's the best way to say that. It's kind of obvious, you know. And for me, I sit here and I just, you know, I thought we were going to get to the Kyrie Irving stuff, but let's start with it, right? Because that's what everybody's talking about. Yes, we'll get to Lonnie Walker. We'll get to JTA. We'll get to Troy Brown, Thomas Bryant, Damian Jones. We'll get to all the free agency and all the fun for the Lakers. Nice to see the Lakers staying out of the AARP home and free agency this time around, by the way. <laughs> but as we get into Kyrie, I think it's fascinating that Brian Windhorst has been just pushing this story. 
and I'm not saying pushing it as if it has no legitimacy or it has no legs or ability to happen. I mean, he has just continually sort of pushed this narrative. Now, you have to consider the context with Wendy, right? This is a guy who's been covering LeBron since LeBron was in high school. So basically for half of LeBron's life at this point, a little longer, actually. This is a guy who has access to certain circles around LeBron, or at least tangentially touching LeBron, that a lot of others simply don't have. Even those in the higher ranks of the reporting world, right? The the Haynes's, the Woj's, the Shams's. And I purposely put Haynes first because I don't think he got enough credit for the work that he did at free agency. And yes, Woj and Shams were fantastic as always, but Chris Haynes at Yahoo Sports was unbelievable. So shout out to him for his work there. And I think as you sit here and, and you just, you listen to all the different machinations and updates that Windhorse has provided, that Haynes, to my, to my point, talks about how the Nets and Lakers are in discussions, active discussions. I think a lot of Lakers fans, right, we have this idea of immediacy and it's been amplified by how we live societally now, that everything has to happen right away. And so we all want to sit here and just, we want the Kyrie Irving trade to happen now, right now, right right this second, on our time and our time alone. When in reality, the Nets are operating on a timeline, but there's a reason that trades typically don't happen in volume all year long. Teams tend to operate with a little more fervency when they're up against the wall, right? So this idea, like there was a report the other day that the Nets could actually go into the season with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Bullshit. Give me a break. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. They're not going to want that distraction. We all know that. We all know that this is going to end one way. No other team wants to invite Kyrie Irving into their fire right now because of all the drama that surrounds him. Of course, the Lakers don't have the sexiest trade package to offer. We know that. This isn't new information. But we can understand why there's going to be some sort of eventual agreement here based on everything that we know. I guess the bigger question, JC, at this point, and you tell me your, your standpoint where you see all of this, but I guess the bigger question at this point is it would be a surprise if this didn't happen, right? If it were to completely fall through at this point, yeah, it would be it would be a surprise. I mean, it would be. And, and I don't know that there's any package of assets that the Lakers can offer here, no matter whether they take back Joe Harris, Seth Curry, and this idea that the Lakers are, are, are you know, sort of hesitating over taking back Joe Harris's money. Oh, please, that's a load of crap too, okay? I know everybody needs posture, everybody needs leverage, and when you report, okay, you're doing somebody a favor who's giving you information, so there are certain things that you have to sort of work into the context of the story, shall we say. Okay, we all we should sit here and understand how these types of things work. But this idea the Lakers would balk at Joe Harris, who went healthy, is literally a perfect fit in this offense. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I mean, I know the ankle has been a concern, but give me a break. Okay. Shit, give me both Seth Curry and Joe Harris. Give me both of their money. If you were able to run a five of Kyrie, Seth, Joe Harris, LeBron, and AD, are you kidding me? That's transformative for the Lakers. And it's not because Joe Harris and Seth, Seth Curry are that good, but it's because of just how they fit. I mean, this this idea, again, it all goes back to the Kyrie-LeBron, you know, sort of phenomenon and that pairing. And then you interject KD into, or KD, 
AD into the mix. It's just wild. That tells you what's been on my mind, obviously, as we sit here and talk about the Brooklyn Nets and obviously most most obviously the Los Angeles Lakers. You got both Ethan and JC on this episode of the Ethos Lakers podcast. JC, it is nice to be talking about the Lakers pursuing a star. It is nice to know, to feel confident, for lack of a better way to say it, that it's probably going to end with the result that we we all want to sit here and see. But this idea of immediacy that I was speaking to before, it's not going to happen immediately, okay? And the Lakers roster in the interim, it's it's pretty much set. I mean, I, it's, it's weird to think about it that way, but I was going through this exercise with a buddy recently. I said, hey, you know, the Lakers roster is pretty much set, and this was just before the Thomas Bryant signing. Now with the Thomas Bryant signing, you're talking about 15 guys. I mean, that's that's really where the Lakers are here, right? And obviously, okay, in free agency, obviously the Lakers got the memo to go a little younger, right? Ariza, Howard, Ellington, Bazemore, guys like that, see you much later. So instead, you have guys, you know, obviously Max Christie is a kid who they just drafted, right? You bring in guys like Juan Toscano Anderson and Troy Brown and, and Lonnie Walker, right? Damian Jones, Thomas Bryant, who, by the way, I mean, I love the Thomas Bryant signing. We'll talk about that. My favorite one, really. But also with the other side of that, I don't know that the Lakers – they definitely got younger. They got more athletic. They got more athletic by getting younger, but it's a, it's a default. Mm-hmm. I think the roster just got different. I don't know yeah. that it's necessarily better. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, the, the way in which the Lakers have constantly let go of some of their younger assets in search of veterans that we've that they've brought in in the past, and we see those young young prospects go on and have success elsewhere. The Lakers are now kind of following, reversing that course and being like, well, what if we take some of these younger, untested, you know, hungry guys throughout the league? Like, there's there's not a lot of game footage on Troy Brown. He hasn't played a ton in his destination before. Neither has Juan Toscano Anderson. But those guys might be hungry, and those guys might be situations like you've heard, you've heard Draymond Green talk about how much he's really going to miss JTA, and a lot of the Warriors are going to miss JTA. And it could be that same situation where, you know, the Lakers have given up a Svi Mikhailuk or a, or a Zubats, and people were really surprised by that. And this could be the reason why. Like, the Lakers may have found diamonds in the rough. Well, here's – I mean, the Lakers really – yes, I want to believe all of that. But I'm going to play the other side of the coin here for a second. Lakers really had no options, right? I mean, they, they only That's had right. minimum contracts and, and the taxpayer mid-level. I mean, this is – they were shopping in the bargain bin for a reason here, okay? Let's let's call it what it is. I, I love the idea of giving a guy who you think has a certain talent or a skill and is elite at something a larger platform to perform, okay? I love – in theory, I love that idea. It's sort of uh, moneyball-ish for lack of a better way to say it, right? We're going to isolate on base percentage, and we're really going to get guys who do this thing well, okay? Here's my concern, for lack of a better word. The Lakers are looking at a roster that does not include Malik Monk, who was one of their better three-point shooters last season, maybe their best, okay? And doesn't look like Carmelo Anthony is on his way back unless I'm not seeing something here. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are two guys who pretty consistently you relied on to produce from outside outside territory. 
You replace Malik Monk in essence with Lonnie Walker, who is a career just from the field, 41% shooter, basically career 34% from the three point line and was actually better his first two years than he has been the last two. This last year was the worst year of his career and he took the most amount of threes, right? Walker averaged five threes a game this year, only shot 31.4%. That's not even respectable in this day and age. Okay. Mm-hmm. Troy Brown is, suppo- is is sort of perceived as this potential elite three-point shooter. He's got good size. He's 6'6", 215, 220, definitely built in that wing mold. He's never shot above 35.5% from the three-point line, and that was his career high this year while playing for the Bulls at 35.3%. So at a career 33.7 clip, Lonnie Walker is actually a quote-unquote better three-point shooter than Troy Brown, which I think that fact would just surprise a lot of people in general because they're perceived as two different players, right? And then you have Juan Toscano-Anderson, who, again, to your point, is younger, fits the mold, 6'6", 215, 220. We like this, okay? He actually hit 40% of his threes going back to 2021. But then this last season, it dramatically fell off, all the way to 32%. So these guys that have been brought in to play what feels like probably heavy minutes on the wing. Granted, you you really need to see THT take a step forward, assuming he's on the roster to start the year. I don't know if that's a guarantee by any stretch, right? But you need him to take a huge step forward. You need Austin Reeves to continue to be that player plus a little more. But if you're playing Lonnie Walker, you know, 30 minutes a night, if you're playing Troy Brown, 25 minutes a night, JTA, 25 minutes a night, It's a lot of ifs here. And with Stanley Johnson, right, who's not exactly the world's best offensive threat, although I love his defense, so glad the Lakers brought him back. He's worth it just for his defense. And Wenyan Gabriel showed some grit and balls, but he's not exactly, you know, a player when it comes to the offensive end either. I mean, imagine a lineup that has, you know, Stanley Johnson, Wenyan Gabriel, Damian Jones, Lonnie Walker, and LeBron out there. Who's scoring besides LeBron? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. This it does kind of seem similar to what the philosophy was going to be when Frank Vogel was hired. Like Darvin Ham comes from that Detroit Pistons uh, era where Ben Wallace was a defensive player of the year and they didn't rely on as much scoring. The difference here is going to be that they're letting Darvin Ham kind of choose his personnel, which are limited because of the, the salary situation notwithstanding. That's why I think it might work better. So that so three-point shooting might not be as big an emphasis as it was when the roster was being constructed last season. So that's my only reasoning for that. You know, you mentioned Thomas Bryant. He's not rated as a great defensive player, but he's got great rim-protecting capability with that wingspan. So does Damian Jones. Anthony Davis, obviously a great rim protector. Uh, Lonnie Walker. Everything he was talking about in his introductory presser was defense, defense, defense. So that might be the reason for the lack of shooting. Plus, I mean, if the Lakers are trying to facilitate this trade with Kyrie and getting back Joe Harris, that might take care of the three-point shooting in, its, in and of itself. Listen, I, I mean, I love, I love that the Lakers were able to score Thomas Bryant. I, I definitely thought given the other teams that were involved, most notably the Celtics, right? Because he, if, if Robert Williams misses time, which he's known to do because of his knees, okay, mm-hmm. Thomas Bryant plays a major role there. Like, I thought that he that was going to be a real consideration for him. 
But I think the Lakers were, you know, when you get drafted by an organization, I think that means a little something extra to you when the, when the contract is the same. If you're playing for the minimum either way, right, I think that's going to mean a little something extra to you. Of course, if Celtics said, hey, we'll pay you $5 million, I'm sure Thomas Bryant would have said, yeah, feels good, but, you know, $3, 4000000 million more feels a little bit better. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's what that's about. But I think if it's truly a, a starting, quote-unquote, competition between him and Damian Jones, I mean, I don't even think it's going to be a competition. I think Thomas Bryant makes more sense as the starting five for a variety of reasons, including but not uh, but not limited to the sort of rim protecting, as you were mentioning, so AD doesn't have to worry about being packed in the paint. I know he talked about playing center, but I don't think it's ever going to be his favorite thing, right? I think Damian Jones works better in short bursts off the bench anyway. So I, I, love, I love the addition, especially on a minimum. Like Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant on two minimum contracts instead of Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan, right? That, that makes just so much more sense. A springy big guy a la JaVale McGee, who worked really well for this team and is now making $7 million a year as a free agent, right? Going to, what was it, Dallas, correct? Yeah. Yeah, $7 million a year for him to play in Dallas, okay? Like, JaVale has been, it's incredible how he's been able to reinvent himself in the league. There's a real story to be told there just about, because he basically fell out the league after he signed a big money deal with, uh, he signed a big money deal, I believe it was in Denver, like four years, $45 million, something around there several years ago, but he kind of fell out after being with Washington because he was part of that whole nonsense over there. So he's really grown up and grown up well. JC, we sit here and we talk about free agency with these guys. I have a question for you. And it's an open question for our audience too. And it's just something that I've been thinking about. Lakers had one real weapon in free agency in terms of allocating financial assets. And that was the taxpayer uh, mid-level exception, right? They gave that to Lonnie Walker pretty quickly. And to your point, the introductory presser, he spoke to a lot about defense, according to JC here. I did not get a chance to see that yet. I look forward to watching that. As I was sharing with JC pre, pre-game here, my dog just had surgery a couple days ago, so we've just been pretty busy preparing for that and you know making sure he's taken care of. I've, I love that Lonnie Walker sat there and talked about defense. I love that he preaches that. I love that he's got size to defend guys who are a little bit bigger, right? I mean, I think... It's, it's, a, it's a great concept. But I sit here now several days into free agency, and I see some of the deals that were signed. Most notably, Dante DiVincenzo signing with the Warriors two years, shade over $9 million. Derek Jones Jr. signing for about $3.5 million. Otto Porter signing for the taxpayer mid-level exception in Toronto. Now, granted, Porter's wife is from Toronto, so, you know, I think that plays a part here. Mm-hmm. But, J- but JC, DiVincenzo and Derrick Jones Jr. making basically a combined $7.5 million, a little bit more than the taxpayer mid-level exception. Lakers have been better off splitting it up between a couple of guys? Uh, I mean, potentially. When when the Lonnie Walker signing was announced, I my first tweet was something about I, I had a feeling that was going to happen when I saw that his uh, restricted uh, contract wasn't going to be matched by the Spurs. And so... My general feeling was I wasn't I didn't know how excited I should be about the Lonnie Walker signing. And then a couple of Spurs fans reached out to me like, you know, confidence was an issue with him the last couple of seasons because for whatever reason, he fell out of Pop's rotation. And, you know, they're either probably trying to fit DeJounte in there more this season. Now that the Spurs are basically kind of trying to deciding to tank for Victor Wembanyama. He he wasn't Lonnie Walker wasn't going to fit into that mold. And so. When he has a defined role, when he is has confidence, I think he 
I think he'll play pretty well. And he's one of those guys that I think could fit in well with, with playing play with LeBron and his, his play will be elevated. I mean, I hope anybody's play would be elevated while playing with LeBron. I'm, 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 I'm being purposefully playful on this, on this particular evening, but at the same time, you know, I, I look, I like guys that have some dog in them, right. In terms of just the effort, the grit and balls, the, the hustle, the sweat, it's guys who you hate playing against, but you love them if they're on your team, right? And, and I think Lonnie Walker is one of those guys. I don't really know him, obviously, right? But he kind of gives me... Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That vibe. And I appreciate that about him. And I think he probably has something to prove, right? I mean, he was talking about a first-round pick who had his RFA tender, you know, revoked, who signed in a one-year deal at under $10 million. I mean, there's, there's, you take that a little bit personally, right? I mean, it's like Marvin Bagley, right? We're, we're all kind of sitting here surprised. Like, that's how I know I'm old, I feel like, is that every, almost every contract that was signed in free agency, JC, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. Marvin Bagley getting almost $40 million from Detroit. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money for Marvin Bagley. But the guys <laughs> who surrounded him in that draft class all signed up for, you know, $200-plus million. It's, it's just sort of, I mean, it's crazy to me. Nick Nikola Jokic is, what, $260 million deals, like a player option for $60 million at the at the final year. But there were a couple of guys who got, who got really paid. I was told, JC, speaking of guys who got paid, just real quick here, I was told that Portland couldn't win with a backcourt of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum because C.J. McCollum make too much money. So we traded C.J. McCollum to New Orleans. And then... Portland just spent $25 million a year on Anthony Simons. Can you explain to me what's going on here? Yeah, that one's puzzling. Like, he he had a ton of upside when when he was first signed, and he had some, some moments where he played really well, but he's never really elevated above that. And Daryl Morey had a saying, has a saying in, in an interview I've listened to him once where the only exception to this rule seems to be Andrew Wiggins. And ironically enough, I think he was talking about Andrew Wiggins in this interview. But usually when whatever a guy is, by the time he ends year three in the NBA, that's pretty much who he's going to be. And Andrew Wiggins obviously usurped that and became a great player. But, yeah, Anthony Simons has never really improved or progressed much beyond his 
semi-impressive sophomore NBA season? I just I just was shocked. I mean, I wasn't shocked that they resigned him. I was just shocked that it was for a hundred million dollars. So you you're telling me you'd rather have Anthony Simons at twenty five million than CJ McCollum at thirty? I just something doesn't quite add up there for me. But hopefully they were re-signing him on that larger deal, thinking they might be players on a trade, aka Kevin Durant. And JC, we got a lot to talk about still because around the league things have been going on. I want to come back to the Lakers in a little bit, but I want to go around the league here for a second because we're already starting to talk about it. So we talked a little touched a little bit on the Blazers. You know, Damian Lillard a couple weeks ago, all of a sudden on his Instagram story, there was a picture of him and KD photoshopped with a Blazers jersey. And boy, everybody and their mom started talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a that was an interesting one. Because um, Lillard isn't that's... usually outspoken like that. No, not usually. Like, I, for as much as people have joked about, like, tampering, how much it happens or doesn't happen – You've never seen it, anyone do anything outright like that. Like LeBron's never even jokingly, you know, done anything like that. And so whether it was in jest or whether it was serious, it's just still kind of shocking because a lot of NBA Twitter will see something like that and just run with it and go crazy. And a lot of other people will be like, well, he's either probably joking or there's just nothing there. Well, what really surprises me is, you know, he's talked about before publicly that he's not basically going to recruit guys to come play with him. Like, you want to come play, come play. But I don't need you. I'm not going to get on my knees and beg you to come play here. You know what I mean? So I just thought it was it was kind of interesting. And, you know, so I started getting ideas. But obviously KD is the other giant fruit hanging off the tree here for Brooklyn. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Look, I think that – I think there's a responsibility with the player when they sign a contract – to at least offer some explanation, right? And usually we see this going into the final year, maybe the second to last year of a deal, JC, where guys like, look, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm over it. I want out, right? I mean, we, we've seen that before. AD did that, okay? But KD's going into the first year. Yeah. I mean, he, he signed this deal. Like, no one said you must sign this deal for four years. You could have done a one-on-one. You could have done a two-year deal. You could have done a lot of different things here. You chose the four-year deal. So if you want to sit here and critique people for putting words in your mouth or speaking on your behalf, that's all fine and good. But you also have a platform, right? You have a, literally a company as a platform, but you also have yourself as a platform to come out and say, hey, here's why. And for him to just say, look, the guys who are in that locker room know and that's all that matters to me. If you're going to say that, then you can't sit here and be up everybody's ass when they're saying this or saying that. You have an opportunity to control the narrative. Just do it. Yeah, like I, I wish it was more okay for four players to do that. Like somebody pointed out in a tweet, like this this organization lets you spend a year rehabbing your Achilles. They gave you $40 million to do that. You didn't come back from the bubble, even though you probably could have. Um like all this stuff that the the Brooklyn Nets have done for KD and all he did in response to that tweet was just type LOL. And it's like, I wish it was okay for these guys to explain themselves, at least in, in some form or fashion. Like even James Harden, when he wanted left Brooklyn, like you could have just been like, look, I really wanted to play with Joel Embiid this whole time. Like say something. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, okay. To use a really different example, when Noah Syndergaard left the Mets in the offseason, 
He went to the Angels over $3 million. The Angels have sucked for several years, okay? And he goes, well, I'm not really sure about the Mets' direction. Dude, you've thrown two innings in the last two years. You want to maximize your money. Just say it. Just own it. We all make that same decision, okay? As a professional athlete, your career could be over in an instant. Get as much money as you can. I'm never going to blame a player for taking money. So this idea that, you know, God told you or any of these other cockamamie things that people say, it's a joke. But KD, you have the opportunity. You have a Twitter. You have an Instagram. You can go live. You can use boardroom. You can do all these different things to control the narrative, and you're just not. So I have no sympathy when people say X or Y. There are some things that are being said that are I mean, outright ridiculous. There was some report out there, and forgive me because I don't know who originated it. Probably not anything real to it, but I just happen to you know, see it in the social media cobwebs as I'm sitting there you know, doing my morning scroll, my morning reading as I'm doing my thinking time. And uh, it was something like, oh, the Wolves asked about KD and they wanted Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony <laughs> Edwards, and four first-round picks. Like, come on, man. Give me a break. I mean, this. Yeah. I, what, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah, I mean, that was ridiculous. Um, Amino Hassan, who's a, a NBA voice, I listen to him on the Levitard show every now and then. He, you know, he he posits that that just might be a tactic Brooklyn is using to be like, just so they can go back and Katie and be like, look, man, there's no market for you. We tried. Of even course, though for, of, even of, though we asked for all these ridiculous things. Of course, man. Look, if you're Brooklyn, you, you got no leverage. You got no leverage with Kyrie. You got no leverage with KD. You can sit there and say you got all the leverage in the world. You can say all these ridiculous things. You can do the staring contest. It's all a bunch of crap. We all know it. Okay. So this is why I just there is somebody has to be in that organization who has the foresight to just say, look. Let's cut through all the bullshit and actually get something done here. This idea that we could get something better a month from now, maybe, but maybe not, right? Because the other side could basically stare back and say, okay, go ahead. Go ahead and start your training camp with all that hovering over your head, media asking them every day in New York, yada, 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 right? I could see how it plays out from both sides here. So just move straight ahead and move forward. This this idea that they're going to maximize the return when both guys want out, it's, it's, it's garbage. So sure, the Nets got to start somewhere. But come on, man. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, not every team is going to pay a Rudy Gobert trade package for a player like Rudy Gobert. And look, I love Rudy Gobert and I actually love the deal for the Wolves. I, I, I love what they're trying to, to do or they think they're going to do. Okay. But you gave up five first round picks and the guy who was just drafted for Rudy Gobert. Like if that's what it takes for Rudy Gobert, then yeah, I can understand that ask from Brooklyn, right? Because that's that's the that's the alternative. But that's that was just such a specific and unique situation. JC, did that shock you like it shocked everybody else? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I, I kind of thought, I thought and tweeted, I was like, man, Brooklyn's got to be mad that Minnesota just screwed up the uh, trading market for KD. Big time. I mean, look, <laughs> we, I, I think that, you know, Utah has to blow it up at some point. We've been having this conversation for, you know, more than a couple of years now, right? Basically, in a weird way, almost since like the Stockton and Malone era, it's just this like cloud that's hovering over Utah. Like they're good, but they're just not good enough, you know? And so they finally decide to hit the detonate button. Obviously, we get a package like that for Rudy Gobert. You got to jump on it if you're the Utah side. Totally makes sense as to why they do it. From the Timberwolves side, I, you know, Yes, it's an exorbitant price to pay. There's no question about it. I mean, there is just no question about it. You're talking about a guy who's probably the best defensive player we've seen in the league, you know, especially, well, at least the best defensive big man we've seen in the league in the last, what, two decades? Okay. And 
this idea that you can push Towns onto the perimeter and put Gobert down low, and Anthony Edwards takes another step as a perimeter defender, and and you still have optionality with this team. Uh, you re- the re-signing of a guy like Torian Prince makes a lot more sense now because you gave up some perimeter defenders in that trade, right? Malik Beasley is more than just a guy. Jared Vanderbilt kind of developed into a really nice wing de- uh, defensive guy for you last year. So the Wolves are really – I mean – does Rudy Gobert make them a title contender? Because that's that's the price they paid, and I think that's a different question. I love the move for the Wolves in terms of you know seeing the vision, but you just gave up a lot, and I don't think it puts you – I don't even think it cements you as a top three seed, let alone as a title contender. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it does either because there's still the issue of come playoff time when push comes to, sev- to shove, Gobert is fairly easy to scheme around. I mean, it's it's just such a it's just such an interesting thing because the, that that new executive team in Minnesota was put together fairly recently, right? This is this is not some sort of old guard. This is a, this is a new group. The guy from Denver went over to Minnesota, if I'm correct. Okay, and I wonder if part of that process was, you know, how do you see the future of this team? And talking about Carl Anthony Towns at the four, because obviously Rudy Gobert is playing the five. My question is, can Carl Anthony Towns guard fours? Like, can, is that a thing that can happen? That's yeah. That's that's one thing that is interesting about this, and does kind of make me think about like Anthony Davis and his aversion to playing center. Like, if you get him an actual center that can play big time minutes, rather than what the Lakers have done the last few years, would just play a center for a few minutes and then he hardly ever sees the floor again. If Gobert is going to play big minutes and let and let Carl Anthony Towns play big minutes at the four, then and if he's able to do it and stretch the floor, then yeah, it gives Minnesota a look that they've never had before. Because I, off the top of my head, I can't think of the best center that Carl Anthony Towns has played with unless he's been the center this whole time, and I can't think of the best four he's played with. I mean, it's just it's a very it's a it's a very interesting move for a lot of different reasons when it comes to how it sort of shakes up the balance of power in the Western Conference, Utah slips in, Minnesota sort of cements themselves as the playoff team, at least on paper, right? And all these teams continue to get better around the Lakers. And this is why, you know, we talk about things that happen around the league in terms of how it impacts the team that we all spend so much time caring about. Speaking of big men, though, I I do want to bring up just quickly before I go to my favorite topic, DeAndre Ayton, JC, still just kind of lurking in the wilderness. What is going on? Yeah, I mean that that situation does appear to that appears to be a bridge that's been burnt, and so it just it's just a matter of time. Probably similar to the Kyrie thing. It's like you know, three big pieces are going to move at some point: Aiden, Katie, and Kyrie. And whether they're moved for each other in some way in a big massive trade or not, that remains to be seen. But yeah, I mean, Aiden is. For whatever reason, Phoenix doesn't value him as as a true max, even though they probably should. It's it's puzzling. It's it's just such such a. I mean, I understand not wanting to pay the full max on eight, and I do, but I just it's just such a weird standoff that seemed to like happen out of nowhere. I don't know. It's very weird. Okay, before we get back to the Lakers, because you know we got a lot of things we want to still discuss. JC, the Knicks, Jalen Brunson, hundred million dollars. Isaiah Hartenstein, sixteen million dollars. You got Julius Randle making over 100 million. You got Evan Fournier making 80 million. You've got RJ Barrett due for a payday soon. 
What are you doing? I mean, it seems like they're hoping that last season, they're hoping that last season was the outlier with Randall versus the season before, which he won most improved player. Like, if okay. he can get back to playing the way he was and, and get the Knicks back to the playoffs, then... Julius, uh, I'll, I'll take that version of Julius Randall, Jalen Brunson, who we saw tearing it up, and R.J. Barrett on his best day. Are those three players good enough to make the Knicks legitimate playoff contenders? I mean, not playoff contenders, but, I mean, we saw how, how happy that fan base was with the one victory. <laughs> and I, I just, again, $100 million for Jalen Brunson, I... At least I saw that coming before Anthony Simons, but I just think that is that's quite something. And then, of course, the, the, the Celtics being gifted Malcolm Brogdon. That was another wonderful development this offseason. Uh, but, you know, I understand it from the Pacers' perspective. You get off the money for the Celtics. You give up nothing that's key to your future, and you get Malcolm Brogdon to go with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You get Marcus Smart still on the team, Al Horford, Williams, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's talk about a no-brainer. JC. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of other trade targets for the Lakers, potentially. Gordon and Heald, I just want to touch on real quick before I get your final thoughts about the Lakers on two-way contracts currently. Gordon and Heald, again, two guys who in theory could fit this roster well. Uh, contracts are less than desirable for different reasons for each player. But if the Kyrie deal happens, there is no path here. And to be honest, I don't even see a path with or without Kyrie deal. I think these are just names. That could potentially fit the Lakers, and therefore they're being mentioned with the Lakers. I don't think it's much more than that at this point, JC. Do you think there's any legs to either one? I don't think so. I think uh, Trevor Lane's done pretty good reporting on the the backup plan if the Kyrie trade were to fall through. And if the Lakers can facilitate it, uh, I mean, it, it sucks a lot more now that Malcolm Brogdon is gone because he could have, in theory, been a central piece to, to that kind of a trade. But, yeah, if the Kyrie thing falls through – and you're able to facilitate a backup plan that brings back, uh, you know, Heald and and or Eric Gordon, then, yeah, you, you're, they're basically looking to shore up their three-point shooting at this point. With the roster that they've constructed, it's not a great three-point shooting roster, so they might need to pick up some at some point, which they might have in the if we when we talk about the two-way guys here in a little bit. I'd be very surprised if the way the Lakers roster stands today is how it stands as we go into the season. But the two-way guys could be here to stick around, JC. Scotty Pippen Jr., Cole Swider. These are two guys you've watched a little bit of. I know you've got some opinions on both of those guys, JC. We'd be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about them. And as I will, I will add only one thing to this part of the conversation, which is Scotty Pippen Jr. looks like he could be a potentially interesting guy. He does. He does. Um, in all of his summer league highlights, uh, they've been a little confusing to me, even though he's played pr pretty well, because when he was signed, I watched a couple of different highlight packages of him from his final year at Vanderbilt, close to 30 minutes worth of comprehensive highlights, and very few of those highlights involved point guard playmaking like he's been doing in summer league. And so I don't know if that's something that Vanderbilt just never asked him to do, or if it's been a secret hidden talent he's had this whole time. But, I mean, from what I saw from his, um, you know, college highlights is, you know, he's he's been in college for three years, so those guys tend to be a little bit more savvy and, and seasoned when they come into the league. He's the son of an NBA legend, so he's not going to be intimidated by anything in the NBA. So he's got a really good decision-making head on his hands, head on his shoulders. Uh, he's a decent shooter, 
Uh, the one thing that was a little concerning about him is at 6'3", he plays smaller than he looks, which may not make sense, but like compared to Mac McClung, who the Lakers have lost anyways, he's 6'3", also, but he plays a lot bigger than that 6'3". And so it was a little concerning that Scottie Pippen you know, looks smaller than, than you think, but it looks like he's able to overcome that and be a pretty good uh, runner, you know, handler of the offense. Should be interesting to see how the team sort of tries to develop together as we march forward here. And before you know it, we'll be talking about training camp, JC. It's already almost the middle of July, after all. Yeah. If you had to guess, your best guess, before we get out of here and we wrap it up on the on the Ethos Lakers podcast, JC, if you had to give your best guess here, would you say that Kyrie Irving will be a Laker before or after August 1st? Um, I'd say before. I think... I think all the executives are are in the same place in in Las Vegas, and so I think, you know, in person is probably a little easier to get it to facilitate a deal rather than on the phone. And I think they'll be able to get something done then. Summer league starts in Vegas, July, mid mid July, right? Basically, like now. Okay. Uh, yeah, the first day is today as of this recording, and then. Uh, I will be at Summer League on days uh, five, six, and seven. Gorgeous. Look out for some live video from JC, analysis, all sorts of good things. So Summer League is the next week and a half. After that, we're looking ahead toward, you know, September training camp and October talking about, you know, beginning of the season and all that good stuff. JC, I, I, I think August 1st is going to be right around the deadline. In terms of, you know, hitting the over-under, which is why I said it there. But ultimately, I think this is going to take a little bit of time. Would not surprise me to see it happen after August 1st. But I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you're right. And I hope we have something to talk about long before that. Officially, officially welcome Kyrie to the Lakers. But until then, JC, this team is looking like it's still got some work to do. At the end of the day, of course, it always comes down to a healthy LeBron James, a healthy Anthony Davis, and everybody working together to achieve something greater than themselves. Until next time, he's JC. I'm Ethan. We're out.